You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Gaonic Literature, Recovering Lost Gems. Uh, the Gaonim uh, do cast a shadow upon halacha, and the extent of that shadow, of course, depends on which school of learning you are walking in. And obviously, as things develop in halacha, um, you know, you have a, a synthesis of, let's say, the reject people who rejected or didn't bow to the Gaonic uh, mentality, like the Rambam and the Rif. Then we had the Baliatosvas. Uh, who we're going to speak about today, the Ritz Gaius that we mentioned yesterday. So these men, um, including, let's say, the Sephardic uh, Rishonim, like the Ramban, who we mentioned last week, the Rashba and the Ritva. Uh, so there's there's sort of like a, a different um, attitude towards how important Gaonic Psalkim were. But what happens, though, is that in the 16th century, we find things coming together and trace the Gaonic imprint um, we're going to have to we're going to have to uh, uh, go after it uh, through sometimes some nooks and crannies, as, as we're going to discover here. Um, I, I think what we could say from last week is that the Ramban. Oh, now Ubermensch, of course, is uh, from Nietzsche, who used Ubermensch to describe the the elevated new type of human being that was arising at that juncture in history or that needed to arise. <laughs> I'm actually, this is a play, and I'm sure most of you were aware of the word ubar, which is the term for a fetus, and mensch, which is perhaps the stage after that. So is the uber a mensch? How closely beyond menschness is the uber? So that's why I, that's my play here. And as I said, a torrent of Tosfus. So Tosfus is going to loom large tonight. So we're going to start with the Gemara and the Tosfus, and we're going to see what it is that we can extract. Tosfus does not quote the Gaonim. So in a way, I'm sort of cheating here, but I do tell you that Tosfus is from the school that Gaonic opinions made a big difference to them. They were... As much as they were, the Tosfus schools were a symbol of independence from the Gaonim, they still did more, they, 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 they wrestled with and accepted the Gaonic, they didn't have necessarily access to as much Gaonic material as perhaps other places that were more on that North African line from Babylonia Strait. But what they did have from the Gaonim, and that would be from the Bahag and the Shiltos and other sources, they took very seriously. And they and they, they continuously quote those opinions and try to do what they can to understand them. Um, just parenthetically, um, we know that Tosfus was originally meant to mean a Tosefet to Rashi. That's originally what the term comes from. In other words, Rashi was what you needed to read the Talmud text with, and the Tosefet, the Tosefet was what's added to that to go a little bit beyond. 
Um, and, 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 and that's why so many of the Tosfot uh, quote Rashi, quote Kuntaris, the, the notebook of Rashi. Eventually, though, Tosfos ended up becoming more than that. Uh, they were the students of some ways of the school of Rashi in Rashi's family. Um, but we understand uh, that they are uh, really responsible for for opening up the Talmud in, in, in ways that the Spanish Rishonim then made use of. Let me explain it a little bit better. Tosfos asked the questions by connecting different places from the Talmud. And the answers that, that were given in the Tosfos are sometimes, I would refer to them cryptic and sometimes unintelligibly short, whereas the Spaniards who were who had access to the Tosfos questions were then able to weave their magic using the questions of Tosfos into a sort of a philosophic approach that really satisfied the, the, the issues raised by the Tosvos. So we, what we really have here is, as always, a, a, a mix that turns into something marvelous. So Tosvos is a very important first stop. So let's take a look at, we're going to do the Gemara. In two Gemaras, we have the Mishnah and Nida. Okay, so the Mishnah speaks about what does it mean to be born even just a day old. So in Nida, it's important to know that you can have a young baby girl that's born, and she could already be considered a menstruant. She's Matama ben Nida. And there are actually, if you know, I mean, I have seen it myself, those that are aware, there are actually small children that are born with um, that are actually menstruating and that is considered menstrual blood and that baby put on a, uh, a bassinet or whatever it is that bassinet becomes an avatuma now you can even have a more intense situation where it could become ziva but that you need to have seven days of bleeding followed by what's considered now unnatural bleeding, which turns into a higher state of tuma, where it's not just, it's even things that are on top of the baby and not touching the baby and things below the baby, not touching the baby. The urine of the baby will now become an avatuma uh, as well. A carbon will have to be brought if, to bring this baby into the Beis Amikdosh. So, a ziva is even more of a chomer tuma, and that applies when the baby is 10 days old. Okay. That is really all the nida issues about the how early nidas can begin, how early menstruation and it's uh, the other illness that's called zava or ziva, sorry, can occur. But then we go into the other side of the coin, which is the boy. So a boy also has zav, but that's blood for the woman. And for the boy, it's a type of it's a type of semen material coming out of his penis that is uh, clearly not normal uh, 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 normal semen. Uh, it's something else. So even a young a, a one day old baby could have that. Now. That's basically the end of 
Nida, and Ziva. But then the Mishnah gets into related subjects. Tsaras, a one-day-old baby could have a nega, matama benega, matama betome meis. What does that mean? That if that baby dies, it's one day old and dies, then you have oel ames coming out of that one-day-old baby that has died. Um, or if that baby is in a room, one day old becomes an avatuma and touches something else. That's a rishonutuma. Zokei kuliyibum. This means that even though he's one day old, if he has a brother whose wife has died, that woman now is bound to that one day old baby. Upoter min And if a woman is married to a man, the husband dies, and she has a one day, a child, that's one day old. Maybe even, listen to what I'm going to say here, even a one day old child who then dies, but if if that child post-deceases the husband, there was no yibum, because at the time of the death of her husband, there was at least a newborn child that was in the world. And that means the situation of yibum never happened. Okay. Umaychil betruma. Okay. This, we're learning about this in Yevomos and in Mesachtas Trumos. People learn about this all the time. It's also Mishnah Nida. Umaychil betruma. That if she's a Bas Koei, she's a Bas Yisrael who marries a Koei, her husband has died, but she's left at least with a one-day-old child. That one-day-old child is, sufficient, is significant enough to allow her to eat truma. She's a, she, her husband has died, but that one-day-old child represents a Kohen in full and allows her to eat the truma that the child has, in a sense, inherited from his father who has died and left a bunch of truma. But also posel mina truma. Hmm. Somehow that one-day-old child stops her from eating truma. Now, this would be someone who was a Baskoen, a Baskoen who is married, as we learned these halachos in last week's Parsha that we read here in Chutz Loretz, Parsha's Emor, that a Baskoen who marries Israel is off the Trumo train. However, if there is, and if, if, if her husband dies, she could go back to eating Trumo like she did before she married this Israel but not if she even has a one-day-old baby. Even if she has a one-day-old baby, that's too bad. She cannot eat truma. V'nochel umanachil, the Mishnah says. A one-day-old baby can inherit. A baby, a one-day-old baby can be an inheritor. And also, a manachil can also deed things to the next relative. So how could this happen? Meaning if the, if they're, and we're going to find out in the Gemara, how he could be old enough. And here is where we, another area that's very important to us, if anyone kills that one day old, even though he's one day old, we will take that person out and 
uh, use uh, capital punishment rules in order to put that person to death. That is the Mishnah Nidan Daf Mem Gimel on the base. You can find it. Continues on Mem Dawad Amid Okay. So, on this we have the Gemara, which we're going to read, uh, leading us to the Tosos. Okay, so here we go. It's very difficult, my friends, to sometimes take a Tosos without the Gemara. Very important to, if you want to zero in on a Tosos, you have to at least get your bearings. So that's what we're going to do, since this is what today's shear is about. Well, let's see the Gemara. The Gemara says, Minohani Mile. Well, I, I didn't finish the Mishnah, but that's really all we need. Minani Mile. How do we know all these things? Um, all these things that's saying that once you are one day old, look how powerful things are. And the Gemara goes into all the proofs for that. Let's start, we're skipping a little bit of the Gemara, and let's get to the part about how a one-day-old child is enough for this Baskoe not to eat truma anymore. So the Gemara says, hmm, truma. Why? She only goes back to eat truma if she has no children. Here's a child. The Gemara says, "My ear yezera, uber nami." So the Gemara is saying that even the fact that she has a, a, a life building inside of her is enough that this bas kohen cannot eat truma. Why? Because the pasuk says that she goes back to eat kinu She goes back to her father's house as she was as a young girl. Well. A young girl, before she got married, in her father's house, was not a pregnant girl. She's not the way she used to be. So we see even an Uber is significant enough that the Uber does not allow her to eat truma. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that the Uber is a living being. This just means that physiologically, she is different than she was when she was a girl, a virgin that was not pregnant. It doesn't necessarily mean the power of an uber. The fact that a woman who is a baskoe, who is pregnant, cannot eat truma, it's not because of the viability of that life, but rather the fact that there is something essentially different about her than there was before when she was a young girl. She is not the same being. We know that's true. Okay, so now the Gemara says, one second. Um, the Mishnah is wrong, though, isn't it? The Mishnah says it's a one-day-old child that, that ruins her. But we know from the Pasuk, which we know must be true, that when there's a substantial change in this this Baskoe, that's enough to make eating truma verboten for her. Once she's married a uh, a, 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 a Yisrael. Mar says, no, we need both. We need both psukim. Zera would be an actual child. Zera, that there is seed 
that seed that's in this world that is not just in utero. Okay. So that's, I can say, of course, she can't go out to eat truma. When she was, before she was married, there was only one being. And now there's two. And that second being was never here before. So obviously she's different because she has birthed another being that's now connected to her, another independent being that's going with her, obviously, to go eat truma. And even if she leaves the baby behind, she was responsible for the birthing of another body. So that's not the same. That's, that's of course, Zerah gufa. I see. Even though she's pregnant, it's still only one body. Remember, we saw last week when we dealt with the Bahag's opinion, the Ramban pointed out there's some that say that we don't care about when the mother is still alive, we see the fetus as an extension of the mother. It's only when the mother dies, as you remember, that you take drastic actions because then we say there's been a severance. But up until that point, it's just an extension of the mother. That that terminology that we saw in the anti-Bahag, the Ika Manda Omer in the Ramban, seems to have some sort of of connection here, where the Gemara says, at least in the Havamina, true, she's pregnant, but it's it's still just one body. It's not two separate bodies. It's one body. Maybe she should eat. Maybe she's essentially the same woman she was. She just has something growing inside of that same body. And her husband has died, the Yisro, so let her go back. That's why the Pasek has to say that. Hmm. So that should be enough. Once I know I know all changes, right? And isn't it isn't having a second, isn't having a baby not like she was when she was with a young as a young girl in her father's house? Just one second. I would say no. A pregnant woman is biologically different. You could tell. How? Remember when she was a single girl? You looked at her body, her body was flat not in terms of not being developed, but the point was when you went to her abdomen area, it was flat. There was nothing growing there. Now anybody from outside can see something is changed. Now this seems to talk about when her pregnancy becomes apparent. That body is not the same body. Here, she might have, who knows, maybe she's maybe no worse for the wear. She has a child, but her body is basically similar to the body that left. True, the body has birthed another human being, but the body is basically as thin as it was. If you look and you touch the body, it's, well, I don't feel anything. It doesn't seem like it's getting fat there. It doesn't just mean normal fat that comes from age. It's still a gufus reka. So you need both sukim. Because a case... Yeah, let me just make the point. A case could be made either way that that she is, you could have made a case, you could argue, you could have one defense counsel say, I say she's like she was when she was a young girl. What do you mean she's like she was when she was a young girl? Well, there's not a second body here, is there? I don't care that she's pregnant. The other one would say, 
I don't care. Even though there is another baby in tow, look, she's more like she was, she was a young girl than this one who's pregnant. So an argument can be made either way. For that reason, Bob, the Torah needed to write Kinu'ureho and needed to write Zera Einlo. Both of the two together now obviate a Bas Kohen who is either pregnant or with child of going back and eating shruma. What did you want to ask, Bob? I just wanted to ask whether... The Pasuk says, Kohen kiyikne nefesh kinyan kaspo, hu yocholbo. If a Kohen buys a person with money, and we know from our rabbis, this includes even a wife. So therefore, he owns that person. So whoever that person is, who Yochalbo, man or woman, can now eat truma as an extension of the Kohen. You would be so. Anyone born in that house to that Kohen, hey, they can eat the same bread of truma as the Kohen. Ubas Kohen, a daughter of a Kohen who's been eating based on being a child, but when she marries a man who is not from the priestly tribe, he, that woman, she should not eat truma. Ubaskoing that same girl, Kitiya Almana Ugrusha, but when she be if she becomes a widow or divorced, Vizera Ainla, remember, she doesn't have seed, which means she has no actual living, not utero, but actual children, even if one day old. So then Shovel Besovio, she could go back to her father's house in a state which is similar to the way she was when she was a girl before she married. She can eat those that bread, that truma, and that is the Pusik. Now, the Argmarabab was saying that the need for both Zera Law and Kinnu'ureho. Now, you're right, Bob, since uh, if she's a widow or a divorcee, we don't know how long that takes. She clearly does. She can't fit into the same prom dress that she wore or eighth grade graduation dress that she wore. Kinurella, her she's definitely gotten older. You don't expect her to be the exact same, but because you know from the verse that she's obviously older. She's been through life. Maybe she doesn't have kids, but she's been through age. And we know what age does to you. So therefore, there's obviously she can't be a carbon copy. So why did the Torah write Kinu'ureho? What did you say? She goes back. What do we need the poetic flourish of? She goes back to her youth. <laughs> I mean, she can go back if she wants. Why make it seem like she's going back as if this is a return trip in time, a trip back to the bountiful? <laughs> There's no reason for that. Again, the Torah, the, the rabbis abhor poetic flourish. They see this rather as a as as a rabbinic 
as a as, as a Torah command interpreted by the rabbis to say that that return is only possible where she shares inherent elements of the girl that left. And therefore, a per, therefore we were saying a pregnant woman is inherently different. A fat woman is not inherently different, but a pregnant one is because of the fact that it's more than just more fat that was put on and heavier. It's actually a separate being, which is, which is essentially different than the difference of just age. It's, a, it's, 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 it's an inherent difference. Okay? So, Bob, I think, does that answer your question, I think, right? I think so. All right. So, if we go back. I understand. Even if, even if the woman was very heavy as a, as a Nara... Um, <laughs> and she's lost weight, right? Maybe she lost weight, but but I, I get it. Okay, thank you. Right, right. So that so so that's what we're saying. So the, now the Gemara says, okay, Kroy Itrutz, you explain the reason why we need both, but the Masnison is wrong. The Mishnah said, once you're one day old, no truma for you. Wait, wait, wait. Even before one day old, you can't have truma. <laughs> So Amr Rav Sheshes, Rav Sheshes says, The Mishnah is really talking about, you're right, really a woman who's a Bas Kohen, who married Yisrael, whose husband's dead. A child within her is enough to say she can't eat truma. So why, what do we mean a one-day-old child is significant? What we're talking about is this. The Kohen has two wives. So you have to think here a little bit out of the box. We have, we're not talking about a Bas Yisrael marrying a Kohen, a, a, a Bas Kohen marrying a, a Yisrael. That's not what we're talking about anymore. When we said a one-day-old Apostles Truma, we're talking about the following thing. We're talking about not Oh, we're, not, we're talking about the slave, the Evid, not eating truma. Let's go back to the Pesach again. The Pesach says that a Kohen is not only able to eat truma, but the extended, his family and the people he owns can eat truma. And his slaves eat truma. Now, let us say our Kohen has not been a good boy, the Gemara says. What does it mean he hasn't been a good boy? He has two wives. That's okay. But one of the wives was one he shouldn't be married to. Kohen she'yeshul shtei nashim. Achat grusha v'achat she'ena grusha. One is a grusha and one is not. Okay. V'yeshul bonim misha'ena grusha. And she has children from the one who's not a Grusha. Now, that's good. But Yeshua ben Yom Echon men Grusha. Now, if, <laughs> if there are no children from the Grusha, the Kohen has lived in sin. But that other wife was not a sinful wife. And those children are pure Kohanim 
just like he was, although he was a bum because he married a Grusha. But he didn't become a Cholol. His wife, the Grusha, cannot marry a Kohen. And the child is a Cholol. He's not a real Kohen. And therefore, because he's alive, this child, yes, because this child is alive, he is also one of the owners of the slaves. So since he's one day old, even one day old, he's a cholo. Those slaves are, let's say they're 10 kids. 90% of them are owned by a Kohen. 10% of each one of them is owned by a non-Kohen, a biological son of a Kohen who is not a Kohen. And therefore, they can't eat truma because part of what owns them can't eat truma himself. He's a cholo. That's what we mean a one day old. This goes against the Rabiosi. Why? Rabiosi says, Uber nami posel, that an Uber also owns them enough. Meaning Rabiosi says, and this is very important to our discussion, that that fetus is considered an owner of property. The fetus owns the slaves. There are slaves in this household. They've been eating Truman, munching away at it. The master, the master's a bum. Yeah, why is the master a bum? He ain't married a Grusha. Okay, it's none of your business. Just eat your Truma. Hey, did you hear? Master keeled over and died. Okay. But you know what? There's a child. A child from the one who's a Grusha. Oh, boy. What's that mean? Baby's just born. What's that mean? We got to stop eating Truma, boss. Why is that? You know why? Because part of us is owned by him. That's what the mission is saying. An Uber, though, wouldn't be a problem. So as long, even though it's true, the man died and he left over this pregnant wife who was a Grusha with a little hollow growing inside of her, that hollow does not own his property. Rabiosi says he does. So we have a Machlokas Tanoyim now. Rabiosi in Yevamos, that's not brought in Yevamos, and the Chachamim, whether an Uber can own property. So this is an interesting towards our debate as well. Does Is the fetus considered connected to this world to the point that the, the, the slaves are owned by the fetus? Rabiosi says yes. The Chachamim say no. A fetus cannot own slaves. Why? Maybe because you have to be in the world to be an owner. Hmm. So this is an interesting debate. Kamash Malan ben Yomo echod in uberlo. Okay. So the uh, our Mishnah holds that you have to be at least a day old to own property. 
And owning property in this case means he owns those slaves because he inherits together with all his brothers. And therefore, since he's a cholo, he ruins those slaves' ability to eat truma. Okay. The Mishnah went on and said, What did that mean? So the Gemara says that who does the who does the Uber or the one day old inherit from? Hmm. And must be he can inherit from his father. If his father dies, leaving him alive, hmm. Okay. He is an inheritor. So who if a manchil is someone who dies and leaves things over? So he's one day old. In the morning, his father died. Okay, he inherited from his father. In the afternoon, he died, and he now becomes a conduit for that inheritance to pass through. Well, who is it going to? Uman Chiliman. To his brothers. Well, wait a second. That really doesn't sound so significant. Because even if you would X him out of the picture, whatever he owned is anyway dissipated. Even if he wasn't a conduit for the couple of hours that he was alive. His brothers, the Gemara says, would still inherit their father. It really is insignificant how mechanically, let's assume there was a million dollars that his the father had. So there was five sons. So now there was $200,000 that went to each son. Okay. And now one of those five sons died. All right. So now what happens? So now his $200,000 gets split four ways and 50 is taken by each other son. Well, that would be the same thing if he wasn't alive and there was only, uh, and there was only $100,000 and four sons. So really, it's sort of irrelevant, the mechanism. Amar of Sheshes, I hope I've made it clear. Amar of Sheshes, no ha'em. Oh, we're talking about that there are five brothers, but one of these brothers comes from a different mother. I see. And her father only left one wife, one, one daughter, who married this man. Okay. So, what happened was the father uh, the the mother died the the father died first the mother then inherited from her father and then when she dies it goes to her son i see all right so in other words the other brothers aren't involved because it wasn't their mother that died. All five sons would inherit whatever the mutual father had. But here, this was inheritance from the mother. Okay. So the one-day-old child has now inherited the, uh, the holdings from his mother who got it from her father. And she has this one-day-old child who now inherits the mother. Okay. Then he dies. And now he becomes a conduit for inheritance to who? Do you know to who? 
In other words, now those other brothers will say, okay, all that stuff that came from the stepmother or the second mother's father, it's ours now. What do you mean? (laughs) All the children, in other words, there aren't there relatives of the mother somewhere out there? Maybe there's, you know, in other words, maybe again, there's Yosef. Yosef is the is the grandfather. Yosef's daughter, Rochel, married Ruvain. Okay. Ruvain had five children. Ruvain had Rochel as a wife and Leah as a wife. Leah gave him four children. Rochel, which was Yosef's daughter, had one child. Okay. Yosef. Okay. Um, Ruvain uh, died. Then Yosef died. Yosef's money goes to Rochel. Okay. Then Rochel had this baby. Aha. That baby is a brother to Leah's children as well. And in that sense, right? (laughs) Then what happens? Then Rochel dies. So, I'm sorry, Rachel dies. Then what happens? Then the baby dies. I don't mean give the baby a name yet. Ephraim is the baby's name. So Ephraim dies. When Ephraim dies, all that money goes over to Reuven's other children. So even though Yosef has brothers, <laughs> Yosef has brothers, Zavulan and Yisachar are coming and saying, hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. What is this going over there? Yes, because... He was one day old. He inherited from his mother who died. And when he dies, it now goes, he is the owner. And it goes to the other brothers, which are the children of Leah. And Yosef's family, Zvulun and Yisachar and all those brothers of Yosef are knocked out. Why? Because one day old is enough to do that, to inherit the mother and then give it over to those other brothers. But that's only if, indeed, uh, Rachel gave birth to a baby. But let's say Rachel died. Let's say, but let's say Rachel died, and there was a baby inside of her. Avuuver, well, why not? In that case, Yisachar and Zvulin would inherit. Rochel. Rochel inherited from Yosef, but it's not going to go to her stepchildren. It's not going to go to Ruvain's other children with Leah. Why not? Why don't we say that the baby could inherit it? No, the baby can't inherit it. Why can't the baby inherit it? Because, you might say, because the baby can't own anything. Remember the Gemara before? <laughs> the Gemara before said a baby, we had a machlokas that a baby can't own anything. So maybe if a baby can't own anything, he can't own the slaves. The baby doesn't own them to ruin them. So maybe here also the baby cannot exactly the same thing. The baby cannot be the owner of, of, uh, of what was Yosef's property that went to his daughter Rochel. Gemara doesn't say that though. The Gemara says the reason why the baby can't own it because Rochel unfortunately died. Rochel's death meant that 
A, what happened? That the baby inside, this baby that might have been named Ephraim had he lived, was dead first. So the Gemara considers it a life, a fetal life. But that fetal life was ended. Who my aspiration? The baby inside has died first. And therefore, Eina ben Yorish's emo bekever. Right? Obviously, he never even came out of the womb as a living thing. He can't inherit his mother. So even though we say the death of a mother means that the fetus inside of her predeceases her. And therefore, even if you'd be Rabiosi, who would say, hey, an Uber can own something, not this Uber. Why not? Because this Uber's life, we know, biologically, was terminated. Because a mother's death, we don't know how long it preceded it, but we know that the baby that's sort of like dependent on the mother will die first before the mother dies. That is the Gemara statement here. That a fetus might be alive, but when a mother dies, the fetus will die first. That is the Gemara statement. And therefore, hmm, therefore, the, the, it's not that the fetus can't inherit. The fetus was definitely not, you only inherit when someone has died. So Rochel, who inherits Yosef, cannot pass it on to a dead being. So therefore, that is why it's only if, if Ephraim lives, even to be one day old, that he can be the conduit for the brothers to get it. The mercy is one second. We had a situation where a mother died and a baby seemed to be, it seemed to be moving. Maybe even perhaps there was a, a slippage through the birth canal and there, it seemed to, that, that thing seemed to be alive. I said, no, that baby was not alive. Sometimes when you cut a lizard's tail off, it's also dimefarchesis. It also seems to waft around. It seems to, uh, you know, sort of like jump around and seems to have some aspect of life to it. There is no aspect of life. The fetus dies first. Hmm. Okay. So, on this, Tosvas has a comment. Tosvas says, are you telling me that when a woman is, is, is ill and dies, I see you're telling me, or, or even just any sort of death, it would seem, the death of a mother carrying a child is always preceded by the fetus dying. Now, Tosvas says, well, what's good for humans should be true for animals and vice versa. But we know that there is a halacha, that if you have an animal, that you slaughter the animal, and you find a living being inside of it. You can find an actual nine-month gestated cow inside of another cow. How did that happen? You killed the mother. If it's true, a biological truth, that the mother's death is always preceded by the fetal death, how did that happen? So Tosu says, 
There's a difference between dying in an in a illness and being killed. Mesa means some sort of disease or other thing took a hold of this being, of this mother, and killed it. There, the fetus will die first. It's almost like the biological imperative to live will first cut off blood or aspect from the fetus, which will die, and then it slips up and attacks the, 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 the host, but the, what's being carried will always die first. But if you attack it, if you kill it, if you go aggressively and it's not ill, then you are able to kill the mother first. The Gemara says in Eirechen that that is the case. Now, that is a case, and we're running short on time, so I'm going to tell it to you outside. That is a case where a woman has been found guilty of a capital crime. The woman has been found guilty of a capital crime where she and she is pregnant. So the, the Mishnah there says that we actually um, before, we actually do something. We, we um, take a blunt force and we, we attack her fetus and kill the fetus first, the Gemara says, because we don't want to kill her and then the baby will be born. Now, from there, it seems the fact that you have to actually take some sort of blunt object and slam it against her abdomen before you do the death sentence on her shows you that if you didn't do that, even though you were choking the life out of her with chenek, or you were pouring hot lead down her throat, or pushing her from a, a height onto the ground or cutting her head off the four types of death, the child could still be alive if you don't take some sort of action first to kill that child first. So you see from the Mishnah and that that's the case as well. Mother dies and then the baby is born. That's also where she was killed. Another way that could happen, Tosis there says, and this is another exception to the rule, is when, why is the mother dying? If the mother is dying of not a disease, but of a difficult labor, where the baby and other factors are part of what's perhaps killing her, generating the hemorrhaging, that's a case where also the baby could live and be alive despite the mother's death. So either a direct attack on the mother when she was healthy or in childbirth. In such a case, even the Okar Havlad Lotzes, because it isn't early in the pregnancy. 
It's when the baby is starting to want to be born. It's where the birth is starting to begin. At that point, there could be a, then it's not this little being that's dependent on the mother. At that point, that being could actually live even though the mother has died. So, then the baby perhaps won't die. And then he quotes what we saw last week. That in childbirth, that's not a disease. That's similar to an attack on the mother. And because it's generated in some way by the fetus, the fetus could outlive the mother. And that's exactly what Shmuel says. That even if we're not sure if the fetus is alive, we suspect the fetus could be alive, despite the fact the mother is clearly dead. And we're going to be Machalo Shabbos in order to save the child. So those are cases where Tosfus says the child could be alive. When you, right. now, Tosfus says this is a problem in our Gemara, though. Because our Gemara says that an Uber. Has to, you have to be one day old to be able to pass the the money, remember, to the half-brothers. Otherwise, Vuan and Yisoschar, Yosef's brothers want the money. Well, one second. Isn't there a case where the Uber could actually pass the money to Yosef, to, to Ruven's other children? Wow, not if it's one day old. Even if, 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 if Rachel dies in childbirth. Because didn't we say that, the, that at that case, we're worried that the baby is alive and we're Machal Shabbos to get the baby out? So even a fetus at that point, at least perhaps not when he's dependent, but at the point where it's during childbirth, that, so why did the Mishnah say you have to be one day old to pass the money to the other step, the other brothers, it could happen even in utero, well, not in utero, but at the time if she dies in childbirth. So Tosa says, you know what? I have to say that's right. It's true. The Mishnah is not 100% correct. There's a way that even a fetus, not really a fetus, but this type of fetus, is going to be able to be a source of inheritance to the other brothers. So why did the Mishnah say you have to be one day old? So Mishum de Psikale. Because that'll always happen. The Nochilamancha, a one day old. But an Uber, it really depends at what stage it is. If it's an Uber before she goes into childbirth, that Uber would have died. If it's an Uber during childbirth, and that's the reason the mother died, well, then that could happen. But since it's a little bit complicated, the Mishnah decided to fudge that fact over. Now, Mio, however, the other law of the Mishnah about when you're considered a murderer, that's only if you're actually one day old. But if you attack a fetus, no. If you attack a fetus, you're not a murderer. Hainu, and that would be, Afil Nerga, even if the mother was killed first, and we believe the fetus is still 
fetal life still is, is bursting and, and, and generating inside the womb. You're not a murderer for attacking the fetus. Oh, even if what happened was, oh, Yoshua Mashper, or she's in, uh, in, in, in a difficult childbirth or any sort of childbirth, and then someone comes and says, I'm killing that baby. You would not be considered a murderer, Tosva says. And how does Tosas know that? As we know from Mesechus Olos, that, that till the baby sticks its head out, if there's a challenge of the baby against the mother, you kill the fetus. What if the baby sticks its arm out and you tie a thread around it? I'm not sure if the arm is enough. It sounds like it has to be the head. Hmm. So, Miu, Efshar, the Dafka. So Tosis is now saying that even though the fetus is alive enough to be an inheritor, to own property, and to pass it legally to the heirs on the other side, and to deny the property to the grandfather's brothers, but the fetus is not alive enough to be considered a being that you would kill someone for killing them. Um, now, Miu, Taisa says, Efshar, the Dafka Hechadi Mochaya, will Mochaya Vaharagoachiyotsarosho. It might be that it's only if the mother is clearly still alive and they're both fighting here, that we say that if you killed the fetus, the same way if you're killing the fetus to save the mother, even if it's not a question of the mother getting through childbirth alive, you wouldn't be considered a murderer of the fetus because the mother is still alive. But even though it's Akar, even though the baby has moved away from being just a dependent aspect, but is trying to move and get through the birth canal, there's still, Tosfus says, Shetolik Tzas Bechiyus Imo. There's still some connection to the life of the mother. But where the mother is confirmed dead, where we say you're Machal Shabbos, there, Tosfus says, would be a case where you would, Tosfus has a suffix. The first side in Tosfus is a fetus can possibly own property, but can, you cannot consider it a living being to be responsible for killing it. Tosfus then speculates that it's possible that where the mother has died, even though the baby has not stuck an arm or a head out, but clearly the mother felt and we could tell that she was in birth labor and there's a fetus stuck there there tosa says maybe there you would be chayev for murder because then the mother's life is basically out of the picture and it's a living being inside of a box so tosa has two possibilities about late stage abortion the first the first presentation of Tosfus is based on the Gemara 
that although the fetus is incredibly viable, is considered alive, has the ability to actually be a living thing to inherit and to pass property to something else, is not significant enough of a life to be considered a, 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 a being that you can be considered a murderer for. The second possibility of ptosis is, is that most fetuses are not that way. But if you have a fetus whose mother is out of the picture and is just basically trapped inside, although it has never been born. So that type of super late stage, significant type of abortion, very unusual, then you would be considered a murderer for that child. But then Tosu says, but intim tzolomar demutar look at that word of Tosus. Demutar. Tosus doesn't say you're not chayiv. Tosus uses the word demutar. That you are allowed to kill the baby in the womb. If you say you can kill the baby in the womb, let's say even if the mother dies and you don't consider the baby trapped, which is the first tzad of Tosvos. So why are you Machal Shabbos? Which is really the same question we saw in the Ramban. And it's possible the Ramban saw this Tosvos before he wrote his work. Why are you Machal Shabbos? Hmm. The Bahag never dealt with this question. The Bahag, the Ramban explained the p- opinion of the Bahag, but it could be the Ramban only saw this question from the yeshivas of the Tosfos. So let's see what Tosfos' answer is. Tosfos says, okay, Tosfos says that pikuach nefesh is different. You can, be, you can do pikuach nefesh on a being, even a being demuter lahorgo, even a being that you're allowed to kill. You could have this Paradox. You're Machal Shabbos to save that life on a being that you are, again, Tosus has said twice, Mutter, Lahorgo. And this is really what the pro abortion and, and, and people who view abortion as not Usur have pointed to this Tosus, Mutter, Lahorgo, once and twice. Avogav. Tosus at least seems to be developing that approach. Now, what could be the answer? Why you're Machal Shabbos to save something that you would be allowed to kill? So his proof, his no, now the Ramban admitted that you can't be held liable as a murderer, but your Machal Shabbos, because Chilu Shabbos is based on the idea of potential, right? That you will be able to possibly keep Shabbos. Tosus doesn't mention that Pasuk at all. What does Tosus come up with then? Tosus says, I'll show you a similar situation. Let's say you have a Goses Bidei Odom. You have a person who's dying, a person who was beaten to a pulp by a bunch of roughnecks. And it's clear that, hmm, 
the man isn't going to live. And he's in the hospital, barely holding on. And the people have given up. No, his lungs have collapsed. All his body, uh, essential um, body parts are starting to close down. So someone comes and puts a pillow over his head. Why? Because the Gemara says he would have died. You can't kill a person based on that. But if somehow putting, you know, uh, doing an operation, uh, bringing uh, a special medicine could somehow keep that Gosses alive a little longer. And maybe, who knows, even though he seems like everything is shutting off, you, you are Machal Shabbos for that Gosses. Rove Gosses in Lamisa, but you're still Machal Shabbos. Why? Because in Pikuach Nefesh, you don't look at the Rove. So that's the way it is here too. Pikuach Nefesh is different than putting someone to death. In other words, when you put someone to death, you're taking another person's life for their actions. You're going to take my life based on what I did to that being? That being, even though it was alive and can be considered alive now, would have died, was on its way to death. And even though some make a dramatic recovery, percentage-wise says that that was a being that wouldn't have lived. And therefore, you can't kill a person who kills a being that's on his way to die. Most of them do die. So Tosa seems to be saying the same thing here, that we have a similar thing. We save the fetus because there's a slight possibility that it might live. But putting a person to death is different. So Tosus has really, in a sense, um, aligned himself somewhat with the Ramban's interpretation to explain <laughs> to explain the, um, the, the opinions who disagree with the Bahag. Remember, the Bahag says we care about the fetus. And the Ramban said, well, brought a second interpretation says we don't that interpretation we might say now the interpretation the Ramban brought we can now point to Tosfus as possibly the source the Ramban has changed it somewhat and the Ramban has viewed the Tosfus as saying that we don't really care about fetal life and when we're see the difference is the Ramban said it, do we care about the mother or are we caring really about the fetus? I think this opinion is close to the second opinion in the Ramban, but not exactly the same. And one cannot deny that the words in Tosvos are troubling. Tosvos says that muter lachar go bebetem, which is a strange term. Rabbi Yaakov Emden already and others have said that it can't be that you can just kill, a, you can just abort. If that can't be, is really sanctioning abortion? Is that possible? 
he, he seems to say it when he says mutar. So Rav Yaakov Edmund says he must mean that you're not considered a murderer for doing it. But not that it's actually allowed, but the words of Tosus seem to indicate, and this is the way Rabbi Yair Bachrach, the great posek of, of, uh, of the 17th century, the Chavas Yoyer, says that Tosus really does believe that at a stage of pregnancy that is not just super early, in that mid-stage of pregnancy, it would be allowed to, to abort the fetus. He says mutter twice. Rav Yar Bachar says, I don't believe Tosis means at the later stage, where, especially as it seems like it's a late stage where the baby's already starting to move and wanting to come out. There, doesn't, Tosis says you're not a murderer, but Tosis wouldn't allow it. But Tosis seemingly would allow the child, would allow, this Tosis would be uh, uh, even without uh, uh, extending, extenuating circumstances, this would seem to be a source for allowing a um, a mid-stage abortion, as Tosfus says, mutter. And that is why, again, as I say, that Tosfus is is you know is 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 needs. This is one that you know stands here as sort of a shocker, uh, you know, the allowing this to happen. The Mishnah says, A woman who has been found guilty of some, let's say, Avodah and she's going to have the death sentence carried out. We don't wait for her till the baby is born. We kill her. Now, but if she's gone, let's say she's gone into labor, and then the um, the judges decide that she's guilty, then we wait until she Why, if she already goes into labor and then she is found guilty, that we wait for the baby to be born? So Mara says, Kivin de Okar. So here you see the Gemara says that once that occurs at this late stage, it's a different body. And the death sentence was really impacted on who? On the mother, not the baby. Because the death sentence only came once she was already in a state of labor where the body has started, the, the baby has started to move. So the death sentence is on the mother, not even though she's cloaking the baby, the baby's still inside her wanting to come out. The death sentence is not on that baby, and we want that baby to come out. But let's say this has a normal case where she's been found guilty and she's pregnant. We we take a, 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 a like I said, a blunt instrument and we whack by her area or vaginal area where she would be giving birth, that that living thing inside her should die. In order that nivul shouldn't happen. In order that, so Rav Yaakov Emden points out that this is not for no reason. This is abortion 
in order for what? In order that nivel shouldn't occur. Look, we're going to kill her. We're not going to wait. Because the death sentence, she is now, the baby is still is enough part of her that the death sentence is on whatever her, and even if it means the baby dies. But we don't want is the, uh, we do a, a, an active abortion towards the fetus first in order that when the death sentence is carried out, that there isn't, oh, a baby was just born. Oh, not only did she die, but something came out of her squiggled a little bit we don't know if it, uh, if it would live or not but that would be disgusting oh that's not what she was the death sentence was she was alive and now she's dead this is already enough of a reason to perform an abortion there's a reason behind it now i wanted to say another possibility that part of the reason we want capital offenses to be carried out in public is because we want people to get the maximum shock value and stop ever thinking of doing an Avera. If when a woman we put to death, a baby would come out, then people would not be talking about the death. They'd be talking about, oh, did you see that? How weird that was? There was a baby that came out. Oh, yeah. right? We don't want people talking about how weird the, the, the death was and there was something weird that happened. We want people to just be, to be, to, 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 to have the somber acceptance that a virus kill you. But if people are going to be talking, gossiping about, oh, you know, there was a baby, yeah, a baby came out, oh, yeah, how did that look? Oh, the baby really come out, yeah, was the head out first, was this? But no one's talking about the fact that she did an Avera that killed her. So those are reasons why we could do an abortion, Yagav then says. But you can't just, you can't just necessarily say without a reason. Unfortunately, what this approach, using Tosfus as the banner, Going with the Chavis Yoyer and Rabbi Yaakov Emden, people started uh, allowing abortions for the sake of uh, for the sake of family um, protection. That the child was a the child was a mamzer. Oh, it'll be such a terrible thing for the family if this baby is born. Oh, it's going to ruin our reputation. Oh, it's disgusting. Oh, everybody knows that it was through uh, an Asia's ish. So, Bob, you're talking about um, reasons of, 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 of psychological and, and mental distress. That's, that's just a stone throws away from a family's total, um, from a family being totally um, embroiled in a scandal that also leads to emotional distress, right? Uh, obviously, the you could take that. <laughs> you could. You, it's a slippery slope. Sure is. Uh, and, and so is genetic defects because is it somebody where the child's not expected to live more than thirty days, uh, a normal lifetime? Uh, these things all have. Right. That's the problem with all of them. That's one of the reasons that I'm, I've been personally trying to be careful, you know, to 
well to say that it might be possible to not try to make it a, a blanket statement. I'm not opposed to take anyway, but yeah, it seems right, like because, the circumstances would need to be analyzed very right, carefully. But, but you see that this rationale could lend itself to others. Kedei shalo tovalidei nivu can be, hmm, well, this is just as, right? Isn't, isn't, isn't this just as justified? Is another important piece for the pro-choice people, so to speak. So we have the Tosvos, this Gemara, and um, et cetera. So that is, in a way, uh, like I said, that is the, the uh, despite their knowledge of the Gaonim, of the Bahag, Mm-hmm. Again, they, you know, they went with, you know, what what the Gemara again, what the reading of the Gemara seemed to suggest. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.